Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into the old man and the gun in today's statistics episode. The Old Man and the Gun. Um, new film out, uh, and finally got a chance to see it. It has been in sort of limited release, expanding for a while, and recently came to my neck of the woods. So, this is a movie kind of, for a while, heralded as the last performance from the great actor Robert Redford, which asterisk on that statement as he has sort of walked back that uh that since since the movie has come out there's been speculation as to why that would be suffice to say uh it's you know even if it's not his last performance it's presented as that you know it's it's very much a film that um, honors and uh, reveres uh, its its central character. So, uh, I'm gonna. I, I've been trying to figure this out, right? You know, I have last couple of weeks, a lot of uh, review episodes, not a lot of statistics episodes, and that's fine. You know, th- there's gonna be periods of time where you know movies with big casts and and things like that don't come out, and that's generally my sort of baseline is is does it have a lot of people in it that make the statistics episodes more relevant and i i wanted to figure out a way to make those episodes a little bit more involved i guess is a word i can use to describe that because i don't know just and and like this has been an issue since the start of of doing the podcast of you know, how do I translate this, the spreadsheet to make it palatable to the ear? And lists of numbers, you know, aren't the best way to do that. But it's not, I don't know, it's it's even aesthetically, you know, you know, when you're just looking at a page filled with numbers and trying to interpret them, that in and of itself isn't exactly uh, the, the most interesting thing either so there there's got to be some sort of line right there's got to be some sort of point where uh discussing this uh in a specific uh, in a particular way can lend itself to being meaningful and i'm going to try something a little different in today's episode uh as far as statistics are concerned uh well, I guess not as far as the statistics themselves are confer- concerned. I think that will literally, I think, be the exact same as it has been. Uh, however, the um, extrapolation therein, I think, will uh, can can be better. Uh, something I've been trying to work on as I've gone through, you know, particularly with the cast listing, uh, you know, trying to emphasize, you know, opinions on their performances and characters and stuff as I check off each person. So. Gonna gonna see if I gonna try to do something a little bit differently. Uh, it might might work. Uh, might might not. It might disrupt the flow a little too much. We'll see. 
and uh, figure it out as I go along. So, the old man and the gun statistics. So, I, I saw the movie October 25th, uh, 2018. That is uh, a Thursday, Thursday afternoon. Uh, the theater was... I don't know, it was a 4.45 showing, there were about 10 or 11 other people in the theater, and I was easily, you know, the youngest person there, if not half the age of the next youngest person there. A lot of, lot of older Redford fans, uh, male and female, uh, watching with me. Uh, I was sitting in the second to, second to last row toward the back, and there were two women sitting in the very back row who were... Uh, talking through a lot of the movie uh, about the movie, so, you know, not the most distracting. But they, they were having those those conversations of like, oh, I bet that's, you know, trying to sort of like half predicting the movie, half just reading the the, the narrative and, and reading the plot well enough that you know what's going to come next. Um, you know, there there's a moment where... Uh, there's a sort of confrontation between two characters, and you know they're they're kind of whispering in the back to each other, like, "Oh, they're gonna see each other," or, you know, that something like that, which is fine. I, I had no problem with that. That doesn't bother me. <clears throat> but it, it, it's just interesting, you know, like listening to them talk, and you can get, what what really I think find I find fascinating is how transparent their enjoyment of the film was. You know, they are, you know, wearing their emotions on their sleeve, like, oh, I really like this, or, or, ooh, why did that have to happen, you know, kind of thing. And you, you can kind of track the progression of their opinion throughout the film. And, you know, thing is, uh, trying to remember how, how it went, but to, for most of it, you know, anytime Redford was on the screen, which, you know, he's the main character, so quite a lot, was a positive thing. These women ate up every time he was on, on the screen, whereas uh, anytime we, we kind of shifted over to the Casey Affleck story, meh, very meh, very meh reaction. And... The biggest laughs and the biggest reactions for me came from Tom Waits' character. Uh, you know, they they loved his character. He was hilarious. I thought he was really funny. Um, and, you know, it ended up being a pretty, pretty decent experience altogether. Uh, so the movie is <clears throat> just under an hour and a half. I clocked it at 87 minutes from start to credits, which is really short. <clears throat> Excuse me. And honestly, that works. You know, I think the movie ends uh, about 10 to 15 minutes before the credits start to roll. And then we get this epilogue, these epilogue sequences, which it's a, based on a true story. So I guess you have to kind of flesh that sort of thing out. But it's still... I don't know, it still felt like we get this title card and it really felt like a finality sort of thing. And I even remember a couple of minutes after we continue from this title card, the women behind me kind of like say to each other like, didn't you think it was over? Yeah, I thought that was going to be it. And the movie just kept going. Which, you know, I knew it had to, because, like, I saw the title card, I checked the time, and I'm like, oh, that's really, really short. It can't be this short. 
what else is left. And I think, and, and like this is kind of my issue with, one of my main issues with the film is that you, you present a story that is relatively factual uh, about a person who really existed uh, doing things that really happened. And I think on some level, whether you're writing this, this story, whether you're directing it or acting in it, you feel obligated to uh, tell the whole story, right? You feel like if you leave stuff out, uh, it'll, you know, there will be people who will be upset because they're like, oh, well, well, wait a second, it didn't happen like that. No, 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 look at it again, like, we go back, think, you know, he did that instead of this, or, you know, you can't just, like, ignore this part because that was so in- integral to the story, etc., yeah, and people do that for for nonfiction or for fiction as well when it's adapted from a book and stuff. Like, you know, every, everything is everyone's critical of of adapting something from a story. And if you leave out this character because maybe they're not cinematic enough, uh, you know, you're going to get people complaining about that. And if you tell a real story, such as this one, and you leave out you know, the ending, as it were, then, you know, you're leaving stuff out and and you're not fully committing to this character and this person. And I I get that. I I totally respect that point of view. And I think that, you know, Lowry makes a good point of of showing that he's he's committed to this character and making you, to to this person and making you uh, really feel the weight of their life and, and, follow through from it for it through the whole time which is admirable but at the same time that ending man i really don't think it needed to be there i think even just like have another title card i i just think it you hit this the first title card you get it's a little humorous uh it's a little light on on that side but it really felt like um I don't know, it really felt like a finality to it, you know, it's like, it kind of like left the ending open, left it open-ended, and I didn't know this story, I didn't know who this person was, uh, so I, I didn't have any um, ideas as to like, well, you know, is he, I don't know how to say this without spoiling anything, but, you know, is that it for him? Is there more to his story? I don't know, you know, I, like, I could I could imagine that there was, you know, great, you know, I could imagine that even the title card was lying to me, and that there was more grander things on the horizon, and then you, then he just continues, and you see it all play out, and you see what actually happens, and, and it, it just felt very safe, just felt safe. It's a 2018 film. My summary, my brief summary, uh, an old man is a very successful bank robber. Pretty straightforward. Uh, He does have a team. I mentioned Tom Waits. You also have Danny Glover. They are a team. Uh, The -the over-the-hill gang, as they are dubbed in the film. And uh, that's pretty it. That's pretty much it. Uh, The story also, the movie also follows the the story from, from Casey Affleck's perspective, who is... Uh, the detective on the case for much of the film. So there is that side of things, but it is definitely Redford's story, first and foremost. <clears throat> I gave the film, so here here we go. 
I gave the movie a 57. 57. I think it is solid. Uh, I, I don't think it's necessarily good. I, I just think it's solid. I think you've got strong elements to it. But I do feel as though, like I said, it's very safe. It's very lukewarm a lot of the times. It's, it's feel good, but it, it doesn't amount to much uh, when it all is said and done. I, in my opinion, in my opinion. And currently has a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. So critics love it. Uh, I'm decidedly less positive on the film. Decidedly less positive. Moving on to director. Uh, I mentioned him already. David Lowry is the director of the film. This is the fourth film of his that I've seen. Uh, and... Uh, the second film of his rated in the 50s that I've seen, and his third best movie overall, uh, coming in behind Ain't Them Bodies Saints and ahead of Pete's Dragon. Uh, Pete's Dragon is the worst film of David Lowry's that I've seen, but I think Pete's Dragon is fine, just like I think Old Man the Gun is fine. I like Ain't Them Bodies Saints. I really, really enjoyed a ghost story. And I think... From a, I, I kind of touched on this already, but from a directing standpoint, Old Man the Gun feels very safe. There's a montage in it of that has like old footage of Robert Redford in it, which just it feels like you would a montage you would see at the Oscars of like honoring his legacy when he wins an honorary Academy Award. It, it just it felt very, you know, just just sucking up to, to to this guy's legacy. And, and not that Redford wasn't a huge, imposing figure in the world of, of acting and cinema and film. He certainly is a huge name and, and one that even now, uh, you know, d commands a lot of respect and, and admiration. But I don't know, like, if you're going to honor someone like that, I, I think the montage pushes it a little too far. That's all. I think the montage goes a little little over the top personally um it uses you know footage of him from old movies and, and you know when he's younger to as flashbacks and and, and sort of thing and i don't know it, it felt like i i i don't know i think if think the movie itself already portrays its portrays itself as being this sort of legacy achievement in a sense for for redford you know it it acts on its own as a representation for his uh his career and i think it does that without having a montage of him when he was younger and doing other stuff and and I, I think there, there's better time better spent better better ways to spend your time uh while in this movie at least <clears throat> but on the whole, like, uh, the movie is, like, technically strong. I, I, you know, it's not going to give you anything really flashy, like, say, First Man. Uh, technically, you know, it's not going to give you over-the-top special effects, anything like that. It's just, it's very down-to-earth. It, it is very straightforward. Lowry is, you know strong behind the camera the, there may be one or two moments where for me like the camera pans over and i didn't know why it was doing that and so on but there are a lot like 
<clears throat> a lot of the actual bank robbery scenes are, are very well shot and and <clears throat> there's a couple of like from inside the bank there's a shot of of redford on the rooftop of a building across the street you know with binoculars that was very well well constructed uh <clears throat> so uh <clears throat> it's a very, you know it's a very well made movie like there's no big flaws in in the technical aspects of it you know it's mostly within the presentation and then the narrative structure and the writing like that's where i think a lot of my issues come uh so Lowry has an average film rating of 68.25, uh, a score of 48, and he is ranked 226th overall, uh, tied with Walter Hill, director of The Warriors, Streets of Fire, 48 Hours, The Driver, tied with Andrei Tarkovsky, director of Stalker, and Andrei Rublev, <clears throat> and he is one spot behind Robert Aldrich, director of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte, Kiss Me Deadly, and one spot ahead of David Gordon Green, director of Halloween that just came out, among other things. <clears throat> the writer, writer, writing credits for the film go to David Lowry. Uh, this is his third best film overall, uh, behind Ain't the Body Saints, ahead of Pete's Dragon. That is the fifth film credit of his that I've seen as a writer. Average film rating of 61.8. Uh, he has a score of 45.64 and is ranked 415th overall, tied with Philip Jordan, who is the writer of, of Johnny Guitar and The Man from Laramie. Lowry is one spot behind Christoph Kieslowski and Christoph Pisowitz, who uh, wrote the Three Colors trilogy, along with The Double Life of Veronique and a short film about killing, among others. And he's one spot be ahead of John Patrick Shanley, among a bunch of other people tied below him. But John Patrick Shanley, who wrote and was Oscar-nominated for Doubt, uh, Oscar winner for Moonstruck, also did We're Back, A Dinosaur Story, Joe vs. the Volcano, and Live from Baghdad. Uh, as well, also write, uh, writing credit, David Gran. This is the second film of his. And Old Man the Gun <coughs> uh, tied with his other film that I've seen, which was The Lost City of Z. Uh, both films I gave 57s to. Uh, so David Gran has, an, has a score of 28.5. He is ranked 1,962nd overall. Tied with uh, Earl Hamner Jr., who is a, who wrote Charlotte's Web, uh, both Charlotte Web Charlotte's Web movies, uh, tied with um, Anish Chiganti and Sev Ahanian, whose only writing credit right now is Searching, which I really enjoyed. Uh, David Grant is one spot behind. Oh boy, a lot of people. Uh, one spot behind Helen Deutsch, uh, who wrote National Velvet. King Solomon's Mines and Plymouth Adventure, one spot ahead, among other people, Stephen Knight, who wrote Locke, Allied, Pawn Sacrifice, Woman Walks Ahead, Amazing Grace, Closed Circuit, Burnt, Hummingbird, so on. Uh, so those are the two writing credits uh, for the film. And I mentioned you know, kind of my weakest element 
I think there's nothing punchy about the script uh, or the screenplay. The dialogue most of the time feels watered down and, and very lacking in edge and, and bite and, and teeth. Uh, not that this is, you know, a dark or, or edgy movie by any stretch. You know, it's very rounded and, and soft and light, but none of the dialogue felt very uh, meaningful and, and, and emotional. You know, it's, it's very bland. It's very to the point and obvious in that way. Uh, and more, more to that, <coughs> sorry, the characterizations of some of these characters uh, is, is very, very frustrating because when we get to the actors, like this is a big cast. There are quite a few big names in this movie. And outside of Casey Affleck and Robert Redford, I don't know anything about these people. You know, uh, these are characters who exist in the movie for you know maybe two or three minutes of screen time, if that, in some cases, and have no development, no character, no uh, no traits assigned to them at all to even distinguish them. And I, I just I don't understand why. I, I you know it felt like they kind of ran out of things for this movie and that and and it was still only 87 minutes long and i think you could add another 10 to 15 to give these extra characters their voices give them time to you know actually affect what what this movie is and they just don't have that opportunity which is very frustrating uh i, I and you know i think a lot of that is i think it's just on the writing i think you know i, I think they just wrote these sort of ships in the night that pass by the story for a brief second and we don't see them again. And that's disappointing. Like, you know, Tom Waits was one of the best parts of the movie. He has, like, two or three great moments and great scenes where, you know, he, he's just magnetic and and, and uh, just, you know, he, he drips with, with character and... and um, and wit, and, and, and just all of that just doesn't mean anything, I think, at the end of the movie, when, you know, he's not even in the last half hour or so. It's just, it's just very frustrating. Very frustrating. That said, let us move on to the acting side of things. So, we'll start off uh, going down the order by rank. Uh, so, number one, Casey Affleck. This is the 26th film of credit of his. Drops his average film rating to a 63.15. It is the third film of his rated in the 50s and 18th best movie overall. Coming in behind Ocean's 12 and ahead of Out of the Furnace. He has a value of 10, a score of 68.64, and is ranked 140th overall. One spot behind Frank Oz, one spot ahead of Frank McClure. I mentioned Casey Affleck already. He is the detective uh, searching for the Over the Hill gang, Robert Redford in particular. Forrest Tucker, that's the name of the guy, Forrest Tucker, uh, and he, like, you know, he's the, I guess, of of all the characters in the movie, you know, it's, it's he's probably number two behind Redford with Sissy Spacek, a close third, and he is a competent detective uh, in the movie, he is not 
bumbling and, and impossible to uh, really follow. And, and you know, he, he's not bad at his job, uh, but he's doing things properly. You know, he's not going to be 10 steps ahead. Uh, he's not waiting at the bank when, when Redford shows up to, to rob it. Uh, it, it, you know, it's not like that. It's not, that's not the kind of movie this is. It's the movie is far more interested in whether or not Affleck wants to catch Redford, because you know the whole point is you know he's this really old guy. He's very polite. He's very charming. He's very nice, and everyone says this, and it gets to this point where he's kind of this like folk hero almost, and. You don't want to be the guy that put away the folk hero, right? You know, if he's he's if he's got such a positive out view from the from the public, you don't want to be the person that you know, you know, wakes them up from that dream, essentially. And so I like that issue. I like that conflict within Casey Affleck's character. Problem being, he's he's just. The, the practicality of that is is not great, you know, like that's literally his job is catching bad guys, and whether or not he's a nice guy, nice and bad, you know, nice, bad guys can be nice, and, and good guys can be mean, and the one one thing does not, you know, prevent the other from being true. So, to that end, it's not easy to balance that conflict that he has with kind of a, is it possible for him to just kind of let this guy skate by and also continue to do this job that he's, if he does that, not very good at. And it's very similar, in a sense, to something like Inside Man, uh, Spike Lee's movie, where you have Denzel playing this you know, cop, this detective, uh, searching for these bank robbers, and by the end of the movie, he comes to terms with the fact that Clive Owen, you know, he figures it out, he has that epiphany moment, and, you know, you get the sense that he's kind of happy that they make out, and, and that the they, they get away with it. But in that movie, it's not such that he wanted them to make out, you know, he didn't want them to get away with it, he was just, for him, like, the the way that movie is structured, and the way that movie gets you to that point, and you're not upset that he's kind of just okay with these criminals getting by, you know, you have this entire background um, sequence involving Jodie Foster, and, and, you know, and this evil old white guy, who I, I want to say it was... Um, Christopher Plummer, but I am not 100% sure on that, and you keep, you know, you you give him all these extracurricular elements and, and things he's doing outside of, you know, investigating this robbery, and, and kind of tangentially related to it, that you ultimately kind of understand where he's coming from, and I think you get a lot more, a lot more reasons to approve of that behavior in Inside Man than you do in Old Man and the Gun. Um, so, I don't know, it's tricky, like, Affleck is also kind of boring in this movie, just kind of boring. Uh, Sissy Spacek, 
uh, is next up. This is the 15th film of hers I've seen. It drops her average film rating to a 63.87. Is the second film of hers rated in the 50s and the 12th best movie overall. Coming in behind Affliction and ahead of If These Walls Could Talk. Uh, she has value of 7, a score of 63.35, and is ranked 303rd overall. One spot behind Kokuten Kodo, and one spot ahead of James Coburn, who was also in Affliction and won an Oscar for it. I mentioned Sissy Spacek as kind of the number 3 on the on the film's hierarchy of you know competent characters, or at least you know s- screen time. And it's true, you know, she plays a romantic interest to Robert Redford. She is... Uh, kind of a country girl who gets, she doesn't even really get caught up in things, you know, she just is there, which is all the more just frustrating, because at some point, you know, you really get the sense that she kind of has an idea of what's going on and what he does, and nothing comes of it, you know, it's, I felt like her character was the same, just always the same. Uh, you know, at least with Affleck, you could watch him go from, I gotta catch this guy, to, do I really need to catch this guy, to, I guess I'm okay with him getting by. And with SpaceX, she doesn't have any of those, any arcs. She doesn't have any, uh, you know, progression and, and change to her character. She is just a sweet woman who, you know, starts to fall for this guy, and when he turns out to you know, be a little different than what she expected, you know, that's fine, and when he does this thing or that thing, that's fine, and when he does that thing or this thing, that's fine, and ugh, I don't know, I just, the writing for some of these, for these characters, man, all right, Tom Waits, Tom Waits, this is the 13th film of his I've seen, drops his average film rating to a 64.31, is the fifth film of his, right in the 50s, and ninth best movie overall, coming in behind Ironweed and ahead of the Outsiders. He has a value of 6, a score of 61.73, and is ranked 384th overall. Uh, tied with Jude Law, one spot behind Peter Sarsgaard, and one spot ahead of Randall Batinkoff. Randall Batinkoff, who was in X-Men First Class, Kick-Ass, Walking and Talking, The Player, and As Good As It Gets. Tom Waits, easily the best part of this movie for me. Uh, not even close. It's not even close. He tells a story about why he hates Christmas that is brilliant. Uh, it's it's incredible. I wanted more of him. Uh, he He's leaving Redford's house in one scene, and he turns around. He's like, you know, I've always wanted to ask you this. You ever, you ever think about your house being across the street from a cemetery? And Redford's like, no. He's like, you sure? Like, I, I don't know. It's something, something about that. I just always wondered. And it just, the way Tom Waits is in this movie, he's just, I don't know, he's just very natural. He's very inquisitive and curious. And he has this, you know, outside of Redford, he easily gives off the best sort of vibes throughout this movie. He plays his character so well. And despite this limited amount of screen time, he's able to really rise above it and, and, leave a bigger imprint than Spacek or Affleck do, if I'm going to be honest. You know, I the thing I'm mostly going to remember from this movie is probably Tom Waits. And I think that's... 
I, I don't know. He doesn't. He doesn't get enough to do. Uh, I like Tom Waits quite a bit. Next up is the man himself, Robert Redford. This is the 24th film credit of his I've seen. Increases his average film rating to a 56.75. He is a is his ninth film, right in the 50s, and eighth best movie overall, coming in behind The Candidate and ahead of his voice role in Charlotte's Web. <clears throat> he has a value of one, a score of 53.38, and is ranked 987th overall, one spot <clears throat> behind David O'Hara, and one spot ahead of Una O'Connor. And I'm, you know, talked about Redford a, a, a bit already. He's very good. You know, he, he, you know, he's still a good actor. He's very good. And the role is obviously tailor-made for him, almost, uh, as if he'd done it himself. And as uh, if it's a send-off, you know, it's a perfectly, perfectly good send-off. It, you know, there's nothing wrong with his performance, but. You know, like many of the other elements of this movie, it's just very milk toast. It's very lukewarm. It's very um, soft in its presentation. And, you know, I've seen a couple of Robert Redford movies otherwise recently, and he he has that about him. He is that kind of, you know, happy-go-lucky... Well, not, that's a little too too strong, a little too strong, but just this very kind and, and nice person about him in most of the roles he plays but in a lot of these other movies you know he's hardened in a in a way not always the same but he he has edges to him and he doesn't really have any edges to him in this you know he's a bank robber who is polite and sweet and nice and old and there's never a moment where he's like angry in this movie there's never a moment where he's upset or frustrated or irritated he's just he's always calm he's always cool he's always collected which is great but doesn't make for an interesting character next up is elizabeth moss this is her 12th film credit increases her average film rating to a 56 it is her second film rate in the 50s and uh eighth best movie overall coming in behind get him to the greek and ahead of on the road Elizabeth Moss has a value of 2.5, a score of 50.5, and is ranked 1,285th overall. One spot behind um, Billy Bob Thornton, and one spot ahead of Jack White. And she plays... Um, she plays a the, the, the daughter. At one point, she's in one scene. That's it. And again, big name, Elizabeth Moss, uh, quite, quite a name, and uh, she just has one scene. And it just it comes and it goes. Uh, next up, Robert Longstreet. This is the eighth film credit from him. Drops his average film rating to a 60.5. It is his only film rating in the 50s and sixth best movie overall. Coming in behind Pineapple Express, ahead of Undertow. He has a value of 2, a score of 50.4, is ranked 1,303rd overall, one spot behind David Strathairn, and one spot ahead of Lucas Black. And Robert Longstreet uh, is just a, kind of a background character. Not even important. Uh, he's just, just been in some movies, and so he's on the list. Next up is Keith Carradine. This is his ninth film credit, and... Ing drops his average film rating to a 57.22. It is his sixth film overall. 
coming in behind Ain't Them Body Saints and ahead of Cowboys and Aliens. He has a value of 1, a score of 47.82, and is ranked 1,588th overall, one spot behind Anya Taylor-Joy, and one spot ahead of Jesse Eisenberg. And Keith Carradine, again, is basically in one scene. He plays... Um, find the name of his character. Uh, he plays Captain Calder, who gets like one scene interacting with uh, Casey Affleck as a police captain. And that's it. Next up is John David Washington. This is his fourth film credit. Drops his average film rate to a 65.25. It is his second film rate in the 50s and worst film overall, coming in behind Monsters and Men. He has a value of 2, a score of 45.5, and is ranked 1,856th overall. One spot behind Ernie Hudson, and one spot ahead of Sylvia Sims. John David Washington is Casey Affleck's partner in the movie, and he gets almost no screen time. Uh, it's as if the movie didn't even know he was going to be a big star. Maybe it didn't. I don't know if this shot you know, much before Black Klansman or not. So there's definitely an aspect of, well, maybe he just didn't, we just didn't realize he was going to be a big name or... Uh, in the Oscar conversation in this year, so I can I can kind of forgive that, but even still, you know, he gets nothing. He gets nothing, and it, it just increasingly frustrating. You know, I noticed. You know, you notice him early on, and then he gets maybe two lines, three lines throughout the movie, and nothing happens. Next up is Isaiah Whitlock Jr. This is the 14th film credit I've seen from him. It increases his average film rate to a 51. It is his third film rate in the 50s and 7th. Best movie overall. Coming in behind Everyone Says I Love You and ahead of Pete's Dragon. He has a value of negative 2.5 and a score of 42.13, ranking him 1,316th overall. One spot behind Mary Steenburgen and one spot ahead of Simon Helberg. Isaiah Whitlock Jr. Uh, again, he is... Uh, Detective Gene Dentler, who also has about one scene, and that's it. Next up is Danny Glover, the third member of the Over, Over the Hill Gang. This is his 35th film credit, drop, increasing his average film rate to a 46.86. It is his third film rate in the 50s, and 14th best movie overall, coming in behind Tour de Pharmacy and ahead of Angels in the Outfield. He has a value of negative 13.5 and a score of 30.82. He is ranked 3,663rd overall. One spot behind um, Oscar nominee Sidney Greenstreet, nominee for The Maltese Falcon, and one spot ahead of Yaha Abdul-Mateen II from The Greatest Showman, Baywatch, and First Match. Danny Glover, uh, unlike some of the last few names I've, I've brought up, does have a few scenes where he gets to do things. Uh, he, you know, is integral in the Over the Hill Gang as the driver, the getaway driver, predominantly. Uh, and wasted, just wasted, just straight up wasted completely in this movie. Not even, I don't know, it just doesn't, just irritating, <laughs> just frustrating that he is in this movie, he's a big name, you know, I've seen tons of movies with him in it, and he gets, you know, five minutes of screen time. 
<sighs> uh, next up is Tika Sumter. This is her fifth film credit that I've seen. Increases her average film rating to a 36.6. It is her only film rating in the 50s and second best movie overall. Coming in behind, get on up and ahead of Ride Along. She has a value of negative four, a score of 22.14, and a rank of 4,320. She is one spot behind uh, Angus McFadden and one spot ahead of Jennifer Coolidge. And Tika Sumter plays uh, Casey Affleck's wife, so she gets a couple of scenes. She gets to kind of be his sounding board and, and kind of just the wife at home, essentially. And... I don't know. She she's kind of the 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 angel slash devil on his shoulder, basically telling him maybe it wouldn't be so bad if if Robert Redford got away. Yeah, maybe it would. Maybe it wouldn't be so bad. Yeah, kind of kind of a crappy role. I don't know. Nothing that didn't work for me. And that's it. Those are all the actors. Like I said, those are a lot of big names. Uh, a lot of a lot of main uh, a lot of leading. Uh, actors in their own right and one scene two three minutes it's not it's not good enough old man the gun a 57 from 2018 is a comedy movie improving the average rating of those to 52.14 it is a crime movie improving the average rating of those to 56.01 it is a drama uh, dropping the average rating of those to 58.65 it is a one on the Bechtel test none of the female characters talk to each other and it is um, PG-13. PG-13. Uh, the comedy of this movie is fine. It's hardly, I mean, but it doesn't fully, kind of, I don't know. I don't know if I would necessarily classify it as a comedy myself. There are definitely comedic elements, so, so I'm going to leave the categorization there. But it, it, it's not, you know, a laugh-out-loud funny movie. Uh, Tom Waits is the funniest part. Crime movie, definitely, you know, a lot of bank robberies, and as I said, like, those scenes are pretty well done, I think, you know, seeing him, seeing Redford, suave, debonair, kind of sweeping into a bank, sweeping out, um, just, is fun, it's good, it, those are fun scenes to, to see, and drama, there's not, not as much drama as, as you might think, it just is, uh, lack of drama, Lack of drama. Circle of Film Awards. Uh, none. Uh, the performances, they're just not good enough. You know, they're not layered. They're not multidimensional. They're very flat. They're very straightforward. Uh, you know, everything in this movie is competent almost, but nothing is, you know, above average, in my opinion. For the year... So this is the 230th film I have seen, released in 2018. It is the 1,606th film I have seen this calendar year. It increases the average rating of films released in 2018 to 42.03. It increases their tomato meter to 60.02. It is the 77th comedy, 34th crime movie, and 104th drama. It is a neither a good nor bad film. Statistically speaking, uh, so the ratio stays the same at 0.46 good movies for every bad movie. It is a one on the Bechtel test, part of the 29.13%. And as a PG-13 movie, it is the 66th PG-13 movie I have seen from 2018. 
Um, yeah. I don't know. If, if I, I hope this isn't the last thing that Redford does. Uh, I, I think... I mean, he's, he's quite old, but he shows in this movie, you know, he still looks great. Uh, he still has the ability to act. He's still capable of doing, of pulling this stuff off. Um, I would love to see him again. Obviously, you know, totally up to him. I, I think, I mean, the decision might be more of a, you know, he's, he's tired. He's, he's ready to just kind of live out the rest of his life, um, however he wants, and and that's great. I hope that that's possible for him. Um, but I don't know. I think it'd be great to keep, see him continue. I think he has more left in him, uh, definitely more than than this movie, more drama. You know, even if it's something more along the lines of you know Winter Soldier, where it's a supporting role, I think he's still capable and, and able to pull those things off. And finally, uh, I gave this movie a 57. It is the one of the 101 movies to have received a 57 out of 100 from me. Um, looking at that, this list, this chart here, uh, almost every rating in the 50s and 60s has at least 100 movies with that rating at this point. Uh, and then it kind of tapers off to either side as you go further along. And it's just a lot, uh, you know, it's just a lot of movies. I remember when I first started to hit the 100s uh, for anything, I was really like, oh, no, I got to spread out the ratings more. I need to watch more, you know, bad movies or good, great movies or whatever it is. But now that so many are over that list, you know, it just, or over that line, rather, um, it's now <laughs> more a point of like, okay, well, now I got to get, a, <laughs> now I got to, uh, now when when are the, all the movies in the 40s going to hit the 100 mark? When are all the movies in the 30s, 20s, 30, you know, teens, 70s, 80s going to hit that 100 mark? So it's coming. It's coming. It's soon. Uh, currently, the most frequently rate most frequent rating I've given a movie uh, is a tie between 62, 64, and 65. They all 108 movies for each of those ratings right now. With a 57. Uh, Old Man the Gun ties a couple of movies from this year, including The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, All About Nina, and Batman Ninja, all 57s, all decent films that don't really do much more than that. A lot of films from 2017 with this rating, including The Wife, The Divine Order, To the Bone, Lemon, 2036 colon Nexus Dawn, Black Holes, DeKalb Elementary, and Maria Sharapova colon The Point. All of those are 57s from 2017. And that's it. Um, that's that's pretty much it for today's episode. Uh, a little longer than the average statistics episode, and I liked that, actually. I liked, you know, kind of addressing each issue as I brought it up as a statistic. I think that worked. Um... We'll see. I don't know how easily that would have been able. I would have been able to do that with something like the Disaster Artist or Infinity War, where there's like 40 characters in the movie. Uh, what might, what might, we'll see. But I, I think this is a, this is a good start. Good start to to a new direction for these episodes. Uh, to the point where I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I had a thought. It passed. We'll see. Thank you for listening to today's episode, and now the outro.
courtesy of Meg Berquist. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like to listen to more episodes, you can find this podcast at circleoffilm.com or on iTunes. Don't forget to rate and review. If you'd like to follow Ryan on Twitter, you can find him at Circle of Film or contact him through email at circleoffilm at gmail.com. You can also support the show at patreon.com slash circleoffilm for as little as eight cents an episode. Thank you again for listening and have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same night. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be the same adieu. In the name of love, one night in the name of love. So long, farewell, oh, I'll be the same. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.